you have your Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 7, Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Let us hear God's Word this morning. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you, this is when the Israelites were exiled in Babylon. So they're in a foreign land. They've kind of been told, we're going to be here a while. It's going to be a while before you can go back to your homeland. And so there were a lot of temptations to fall in to the, the culture uh, of this foreign land and the idols that were there. And so that's where it takes us in Daniel. And we see, you know, there's great uh, stories of, uh, of Daniel actually standing up. Well, this is an, another story of three guys by the name of Shadrach, Re, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They won't know Reshach. But anyway, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you watch the, the VeggieTales version, it, it, it's Shadrach and Benny. They made it a little easier there. But anyway, Daniel chapter 3. We're beginning with verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on, in the plain of Dura, the, the province of Babylon. And the king Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Captain Nebuchadnezzar had set up. That's a mouthful. Hallelujah. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery and the symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and the lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the inspiration of it. And now may it speak to our hearts and our lives in such a way that we will be challenged, that we will be changed, and that we will never get over it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are continuing our series on what it means to come back to church. And some of you have been back to church for a long time, and, and that's awesome. And, and I'm not necessarily talking about coming back to church physically. If, if that's what you're doing, that's incredible, and it's a great time to do it now in this back-to-school season. But I'm really wanting to kind of get down uh, 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 down and dirty about the, the, what it means to come back to church spiritually 
and with our hearts. And we talked about the first uh, Sunday that coming back to church means coming back to life. And that, that means coming back to life and, and that life means that we have courage over fear. It means that we have hope over despair and, and that we have resurrection over death. And, and His abundant life is all about that hope that we have. And then last week we talked about coming back to the drawing board or going back to basics and what it means to get back just to the basics. Not that we need to redraw any kind of plan. That doesn't need doing. We just need to get back to the plan that God's already has for us. And that is that we have been created in the image of God. We have broken that image with our sin and then we are restored to that image through what Christ did through the death, resurrection, life life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're restored not to sit back till Jesus comes, but to go out and spread that message to others around. And so that brings us to today, and I wanted to talk about what it means to get back to worship. What it means to get back to worship. And not necessarily what it means to just get back physically here, but what it means to get our hearts back into worship and why it is important for us to be physically here. I, I, I know that for some, they, they have to do it online and things like that, and that's, that's great, or if they're traveling and all that, but there is just something about being together in with the people of God. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And so uh, I want to look at that in some ways. See, we're in a light, we're in a we're in a day and age that there are so many idols out there to worship. There's so many things that will pull us away from worship, pull us away from what we need to be about and where our heart needs to be. Now we see in this story there was a real temptation for people there to uh, to to worship this idol. Look at what happens here in verses 4 through 6. Then a herald can't cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, and the symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now, I hope that none of us ever come to that place where we have to make a decision to either worship God or be thrown into, uh, I mean, worship an idol or be thrown into a fiery furnace. I hope that we don't. I want you to know there are people in today, in the world today, in other countries and some other places in the persecuted church that do have to make that choice. And they worship God and, it, and they do it risking their lives and risking to be tortured. And we need to pray for the persecuted church. And uh, just look up Voice of the Martyrs and, and you'll see uh, on on. on Online and you can see where all those spaces and places, it would surprise you at where there's persecution of Christians at. But there are other idols that we have also to look out for. And that's what I want to talk about this morning for a few minutes. What are some of today's idols that demand our worship? What are some of today's idols that demand our worship? One is political agendas. I already heard the grunt. Amen. Yes, I'm going there. Yes, I'm going there. Political agendas. 
And I'm not talking about one side or the other because I think it happens in both sides. But there are people that worship a political agenda, whether it's left or right or middle or libertarian or whatever it is. I mean, wherever it is, people can worship their political agendas to a point that they forget to worship God. That they forget. And, and, and what some people actually do if they don't watch out, they let their political agenda inform their Christianity instead of letting our Christianity inform our political agenda. Amen. And so the one we are to worship first is Jesus. That's the one we're to worship. And the politics, I ain't saying that they're bad or good or whatever. I'm just saying that is not where our worship should be. It should be in Jesus Christ. The second one is this, money. Oh yeah, I'm going there too. Money. Now I want to begin. There is nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with money. The Bible doesn't say there's anything wrong with money. Uh, 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 there, there's, nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with somebody working hard or thinking hard or, or doing business in a, in a way, uh, in, in, a, in a moral way and making good money. There's nothing wrong with that. There are some wonderful uses for money. If you don't believe me, I encourage you to put some money in those white boxes by the doors and we'll show you all the wonderful things that can do, that can be done with money. It's not a sin to make money. But here's what is wrong, is when we start worshiping money. Look at what it says there in 1 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root to all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How many of you have seen people that have plenty of money and they're some of the saddest people in the world? Now, I know some of you are saying, oh, I'd like to at least give that a try. But anyway, uh, but no, I've, we've seen that. And the love of money is the root of all evils. That's where we fall into it. When we put making money ahead of serving God, or we put it ahead of being who we need to be for our family or for our church, when we buy stuff we want to have, but instead of that, and, and we take the money that we should be tithing to the church, and yes, Methodists believe in tithing. In fact, we believe that you can give more than tithing. We believe in not just giving till it hurts, giving till it feels good. Amen. Paul said we should be a joyful giver. And so, but, but money if we're worshiping money, then that is an idol. And then the last one is this, us. How many of you know we are very tempted many times to worship ourselves? If you don't believe me, look at the selfie world that we have today. Amen. You selfie here, selfie here, filter, bunch of filter, bunch of filter. That's right. And, uh, and, and selfie. Social media posts. And I've seen folks, I, I've seen, I've seen folks, not just teenagers, but young adults and others too, even older adults sometimes. They're like, hey, we're going to take a picture. Ah. All right, it's done. Oh. <laughs> you know, but anyway, but, but, uh, but, but we're, we do that. I mean, and nothing, I'm not saying anything's wrong with social media. It can, be do, it can be used for some wonderful things. But you know what? We oftentimes, we use social media. If you really think about it, we are, when we're setting up our Facebook page or our Instagram or our Snapchat, we're literally creating a shrine to ourselves because it's pictures of us, our friends, our stuff, our activities, 
all about it. And so we have to be careful not to fall in to the idol of worshiping us. So why should we get back to worship? Why should we get back to worship as a people, as a church? Why should we get back to worship? Number one is this. Worship refocuses us on God. Worship refocuses ourselves on God and on God's glory. Because that really is what we're here to do. In fact, that's what we were created to do. The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of humankind is to give God glory and to enjoy God forever. That's what we're here to do, is to worship God. And whenever we come to worship, what we're doing, just by showing up this morning, even if somebody dragged you, if you're here this morning, you are here saying that Jesus means enough to me. He is worthy enough to me for me to be here this morning and not somewhere else doing something else. Just showing up is a message of how much you love Jesus. And we need to understand that. Psalm 29, verse 2 says this, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in, splend in the splendor of His holiness. See, I think that we don't realize what it means when we come into the glory of God. Whenever we come into this space of worship and the fact that God's presence is here with us. See, we've kind of casualized our relationships with God and we kind of casualize worship. Now, I'm not talking about dressing casual. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not talking about contemporary versus traditional music. It's not about that. But what I'm afraid of is we make worship such this casual thing that I'll just come in, sing a little bit and do all that. We've kind of made it like this, not like that old country song. It's just me and Jesus. We got our own thing going. And I didn't know that was a real song until I visited Kentucky at a revival one time and they say I said ah oh, that's real anyway but the thing is is that we we need to understand and I know Steve we're gonna learn it too amen but anyway and, and there's nothing wrong with having with having that close relationship with Jesus he is the friend that's closer than any brother but we also have to understand when we come into this house and we come into worship we are coming in the presence and the glory of Almighty God. And He deserves our worship and all splendor and beauty that He has for us. And worship refocuses on us on who God is. Number two is this. Worship breaks the chains that bind us. Worship breaks the chains that bind us. Listen, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow, because everybody else bowed, and the three Hebrew uh, men said, uh-uh, we are not bowing to that idol. We're not going to do it. And so the first thing they did, they bound them. Listen, listen what it says there in verse 20. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. See, the idols of the age will bind us. They will bind us. Money, the love of money will bind you. You'll be bound to whatever makes more of that if that's what you're worshiping. The, the political agendas will bind you. You'll be bound to be all and serving them instead of serving the one that we should be serving. Uh, us, uh, worshiping ourselves, it will bind us. If we're all about us, it will bind us to what's going, what we think is going to make us happy but leaves us shallow and leaves us hurt many times in the end. It will bind us. But listen, worship 
breaks those chains that bind us. It breaks the chains down. I I love that story of Paul and Silas. It's in the New Testament in the book of Acts chapter 16. Now, Paul and Silas, they're going around preaching, and there's this little servant girl that that, uh, is what they called in those days a soothsayer. In other words, she was a fortune teller. And the Bible says the reason she was able to tell those fortunes was because she was possessed by a certain spirit or demon or whatever that would lead her to be able to tell those fortunes. Well, she was going around kind of like the Dion. I'm not saying Dion Warwick is possessed by a demon. I'm just saying, but, you know, kind of uh, horoscopes. Anyway, but she was able to, she was going around and she was mocking Paul and Silas. She was going around. Every time they try to preach, she would try to mock them and try to mess them up. And finally, Paul turns around and says, in the name of Jesus, get out of her. And that spirit left her. Now, all of a sudden, she couldn't tell fortunes anymore. And guess who got mad about that? Her masters. They got mad about that. And so they had Paul and Silas thrown into the prison. And they were beaten and they were thrown into the prison. And they were placed in the darkest, deepest cell in the prison. And at the midnight hour, at the midnight hour, I want you to look what happens here in verse 25 and 26 of Acts 16. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Folks, when we worship, even in the midst of the darkest hour, In whatever your midnight hour you've been in lately, whatever dark and dungeon you may have felt like your life has been lately, when we will worship in the midst of the darkest hour, our chains will be loosed. Amen? Amen. Oh, somebody can help me there. Amen. I'm I'm preaching harder than y'all shouting this morning. Y'all at least shout like this. Amen. All right. So, but, and then last is this. Worship not only breaks the chains that bind us, it not only refocuses us on God's glory, but worship will take us through the fire. It'll take us through the fire. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into the fire. King Nebuchadnezzar said, for these three, turn it up seven times. In fact, it was so hot that the men that came and tried to throw them in, it consumed them right there. That's how hot it was. And the three fell into that fiery furnace. And here's what the Bible says happened. In verse 25 of Daniel 3. Nebuchadnezzar looked in there. I don't know if he had a little porthole or if he looked over the side or how that worked. But he looks into the fiery furnace. And he says, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, let me tell you something. This is the Tim version right here. I'm not sure if they were worshiping in there or not. But I actually believe they were. Because here's a promise that Jesus gave. He said, every time that two or three gather in my name, I am there with you. And amen, amen. And all we know... That even in the fiery furnace, 
when the flame has been turned up seven times, that, 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 that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were walking around and they were loose, they were no longer bound, and there was a fourth man that was in the fire with them. Folks, I, I, Or Roberts, the late Or Roberts, he, he talked about the, the fourth man in a sermon one time and he kind of went through the Bible about who is this fourth man because he's the fourth man in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And he said these words, who is this fourth man? In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In, in Joshua, he's the captain of, the, of our salvation. In, in Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In, Nehemiah, in, in Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. And in Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. And in Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer, for I know that my redeemer lives. Who is this fourth man? In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is our lover and bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's a righteous branch. In Lamentation, he's our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's our wonderful, wonderful four-faced man. And in Daniel, he is the fourth man in life's fiery furnace. Who is this fourth man? Oh, I'm just getting started. Oh, in Hosea, he is the faithful husband forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he is the messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is... He is God's evangelist, crying, Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he is our Savior. In Haggai, he is the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain opened in the house of David for sin and uncleanliness. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. Who is this fourth man? Oh, that's just the Old Testament. Oh, that's just the Old Testament. In Matthew, he is the Messiah. In Mark, he's the Son of Man. In Luke, he's the Son of God. In John, he's the Wonder Worker. In Acts, he is the Holy Ghost. In Romans, he is our Justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he is our Sanctifier. In Galatians, he is the Redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he is the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he is the God who supplies all our needs. In Colossians, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First First and second Thessalonians, he is our soon coming king. In first and second Timothy, he is our mediator between God and humanity. In Titus, he is our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Who is this fourth man? In Hebrews, he is the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he is the great physician, for the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And in first and second Peter, he is our chief shepherd, who soon shall appear with a crown of unfading glory. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he is love. And in Jude, he is in, in Jude, he is 
Where is Jude? Amen. In Jude, he is the Lord coming uh, with 10,000 of his saints. And in Revelation, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who is this fourth man? Oh, he's Abel's sacrifice. He's Noah's rainbow. He's Abraham's ram. He's Isaac's well. He's Joseph's scepter. He's Moses' rod. He's Joshua's sun and moon stood still. He's Elijah's Elijah's mantle and Elisha's staff. He's Gideon's fleece. He's Samuel's horn of oil. He's David's slingshot. He's Hezekiah's sundial. He's Daniel's vision. He is Peter's shadow. He's Stephen's signs and wonders. He's Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons in John's pearly white city. Let me tell you something. Who is this fourth man? He is the father to the orphan. He is husband to the widow. Or, or widow. He's the, to the traveler in the night. He's the bright morning star to those who walk in the lonesome valley. He is the lily of the valley. He is the rose of Sharon and he is the honey in the rock. I want you to know he is our fourth man. He is Jesus. He is the son of the living God and he is my savior and he's your savior and I don't care what kind of fiery furnace you're walking through. He's the fourth man with you today. Amen. Amen. Give praise to the fourth man in the fire. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, Lord, we thank you right now. We thank you that you're the fourth man in the fire, God. And Lord, I don't know if there's some in this house who are going through a dark and uh, a dark and dreary time. Maybe they're in the darkest dungeon and it's the midnight hour. Lord, we just worship you right now. And Lord, there may be some others, Lord, that are in the midst of the fire right now. Lord, help us not to fall prey to the idols, but let us just worship you in glory and splendor. And Lord, to raise a hallelujah to you in every way that we can this morning. Lord, you are the fourth man. Be that for each and every one in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.